what did you name your your earbuds? My my headphones are called laser ears, so that's what I know I'm connected to. So as opposed <laughs> to my my MacBook or my phone or whatever. So I just know that that's the right one. And my sleep buds are called Reverie. <laughs> but why why laser ears? You know, it was funny. Um, I don't know. It was just one of the ones that popped up that said it could be selected. It was like automatically generated for what you could name, whatever the device was. Oh. And so I'm like, yes, that sounds cool. I'll take that one. <laughs> Good stuff. Don't you guys name your stuff? I have become increasingly bad at it. I always name my computers. I'm afraid my uh, headphones are still both quite comfort 35 and my, so both me and my wife have galaxy buds plus. And my, I've actually just learned that mine are 779D, which it says in a parenthesis at the end. <laughs> nice. Terrible. I should name them. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. Hello and welcome to this edition of Beam Radio. I am Sophie DiBenedetto and I am joined today by two of our fabulous co-hosts. We have Bruce Tate. Welcome, Bruce. Hi, from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Bruce. And we've got Lars Wickman. Hey, hey. Hi, Lars. And we have a very special guest today, but I'm going to hold off on a moment before we introduce this person uh, and just give a big thank you to our sponsors, Graxio and Underyard. And we have someone from Graxio here and we have someone from Underyard here. So maybe I'll kick it off to Bruce first and ask if there's anything new in Graxio. Yeah, we've actually made a hire. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, that a lot of you Groxio subscribers have noticed that we focus a lot of, on content, but we don't focus a lot on the structure of the content or on conversions. So Paulo Vallum, um, who is Jose Vallum's brother, is joined Groxio. And he'll be working with us on, on uh, some internet marketing, but also on the structure of our courses. And I'm sure you'll notice quite a difference, or maybe you've already noticed some of the work that we've been doing. Very cool. Very exciting to have a new hire. Uh, that is great. I've day. met yeah. Paulo. Uh, he he's a great guy. Uh, I think he'll think he'll bring a lot to you, to Groxio and your video video work. He's tremendously talented. I mean, tremendously talented. It it, it wasn't the first five minutes uh, and before he started generating so much value that we said we have to find a way to make this more permanent. I can imagine. Yeah, on the underyard side, um, pretty much going into vacation mode, honestly. But since this episode might actually start to reach people towards the end of my vacation, like if you're listening to this around middle of August or so, then I'll be back and uh, I can help you find Elixir developers. Or you can uh, actually uh, hire my team to just do Elixir development for you. We do both. Let's get into letting our guest speak. Uh, so Bruce, in that case, I'm gonna hand it over to you as our main host for today. I'll let you introduce our topic and our very special guest who I, I feel like you may know, uh, but I'll let you, I'll let you take it from here. Okay, I'll do that. So we thought that we'd talk a little bit about the idea of Elixir conferences. Specifically, there's a Elixir is a blessed community in that we have more, more books as resources than other languages and a similar standing. We also have 
probably more conferences in general than than many languages in a similar what stage of development, if you will. But one of the things that I think that sets Elixir apart is the number of high quality small conferences. And and I want to to introduce our guest, Maggie Tate, who's helped put on a couple of those, and that's Lone Star Elixir and our very own Gig City Elixir. Greetings, Maggie. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. Fantastic to actually have you on the show. Uh, for those that don't know or have somehow missed it, uh, Maggie edits this show. And I just want to underline, this is not actually the Tate's kind of putting us up to this. I've said I wanted to get the behind the scenes on creating conferences for the community and kind of talking about how they go about designing them because I've heard such great feedback about Gig City Elixir and generally like all the Elixir conferences have gotten immensely good feedback from everyone I've spoken to that have been at them. Uh, Gig City particularly has gotten a lot of response about being friendly and welcoming. That's kind of that's kind of what I've heard. So I figured uh, bring the people in, let them talk about how they do it, how they make people feel feel so welcome. I'm not entirely surprised. These two are are lovely and very friendly. But Maggie, since you don't get to be on the show very often, tell us a little bit of, a little bit about yourself. Oh, okay. Um, so I live in Chattanooga, obviously. People probably know that already. <laughs> and I am behind the scenes on a lot of stuff. So I'm behind the scenes on Gig City Elixir, Lone Star Elixir, and Groxio. And so, and Beam Radio. Um, and it's my preferred location. <laughs> so being up here, uh, actually talking to everybody feels a little bit strange and different, but um, but fun. Really fun to see you guys. I love editing the podcast. It's actually one of the favorite things I do. Uh, your synergy and your energy together is just delightful. Yeah, really fun. Can I surprise you with a question? What have, what have been some of your su most surprising moments when you're sitting editing by yourself? You know, sometimes I can I can hear you in another room just bursting out laughing. Oh, so, uh, sometimes you guys talk to me. <laughs> the episode and tell me different things that you want to adjust or, or change. And so that's always really kind of fun. Um, or the, uh, I love the preamble conversations are just really enjoyable. And sometimes I try to snag, sometimes they're so good. I snag them and break them into two and put some on the back end and some on the front end. Um, but that's been, that's been fun. Yeah. It's the most convenient way to leave notes to the editor. That's like, it's perfect. Oh, Maggie, that was <laughs> Just cut that part. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, especially when people <laughs> when you get saucy, <laughs> you're like, "Yeah, take that part out." <laughs> the I wheels are coming off, Maggie. Save us. <laughs> yeah, I think we actually leave fairly little on the cutting room floor, mostly silence. Yeah, um, so. yeah, mostly silence. Okay, so Gig City Elixir. How long ago was that? Now. So we started it in, I guess the first one was 2018. And it was really funny because Bruce, Bruce said, I think we should have a conference. And I'm like, we don't know how to do a conference. Let's not do a conference. <laughs> and he's like, no, we can totally do a conference. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, so we ended up pulling it off and it was so much fun. Um, 
we had a great team of people help us. There was a Dynamo friend of mine named Sarah Jane, who um, really was clutch <laughs> in getting it all pulled together. She'd put on some events and really helped us um, put things together for it. Um, as far as the organization of like we, Bruce and I are very, very strong believers in hospitality and have always been. Um, and to be able to do that on a grand scale with the conference was phenomenal. Yeah, really, really fun. I feel like <laughs> this is almost like an unfair, unfair thing to say, right? Like, let's do a conference. <laughs> because yeah. I say, let's do a conference. And I mean, Maggie, you should do a conference for us. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. Well, and, and I should say, what made me giggle about it was that at some point during the planning of that, I think I read that, what is it? Men need like 60 or 70% of the skills to apply for a job or to do something. And they say, yeah, I can do it. And then women are like, no, no, I got to have a hundred percent of all my ducks in a row before I even say yes to consider it. Right. And so that was uh, clearly where we were in that moment. Because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I, I, to be fair, I do have a background in meeting planning. <clears throat> I worked at a conference center, so I'm not, it's not foreign to me, but it was, you know, a long time since I did any of that kind of stuff. So I sense a very familiar dynamic where uh, I might be the completely unreasonable, but very <laughs> excitable uh, person in my particular relationship. And my wife is very practically minded and a little bit more careful about committing to things. She's also extremely competent at executing on things. Totally. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So me and Bruce, we have some vision, vague ideas about this is probably doable. And then, uh, then our wives bail us out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's really funny. Well, and the other thing about doing it here in Chattanooga that was really wonderful is that um, we used to live in Austin, Texas, and I had friends that were from Chattanooga. Well, they're not from Chattanooga, but they had lived in Chattanooga before they moved to Austin. And when we were moving to Chattanooga, my friend pulled me aside and said, Chattanooga is a really collaborative city. And if there's anything that you guys want to get done while you are there, there will be people around you that can help make it happen. And that, I mean, really the first time that we felt that was pulling off Gig City 2018. Um, we had people help us uh, find venues. We had um, people help with uh, connections to hotel stuff, right? It was just, it all just kind of laid out for us. Um, there was great um, local support for it, which was wonderful. As a Swedish person, that's an absurd idea. <laughs> I think that only exists in the like smallest towns of this country, most likely, because they have to. Otherwise, they don't exist anymore. But uh, that that is an unusual thing, and it sounds like a very, very, very nice thing to have. It, it is. It is. It is really amazing. And at that time, Bruce was running his mentoring group, uh, Elixir Chat, in person, right? And so the idea for the conference, uh, and he can tell you more about this, the idea for it was to be able to have some world-class um, programmers, developers, leaders in the industry to come to Chattanooga and to meet these people and to put our, our students in front of um, these people and make some wonderful connections for them for their kind of vision casting and also just networking. And um, we, uh, that's, that's really 
that's really how it started, was he wanted to introduce uh, some of these um, mentees to the community. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, <laughs> kind of retelling the story. It's like, oh, what have I done to my wife, right? <laughs> um, and, and I mean, she's just talking about the very beginnings of it, right? So we talked about the idea of doing the hospital. Um, of something that's that is hospitality focused and with also a strong sense of location, right? Like we didn't want to do a strip mall, we didn't want to do a a canned conference center. We wanted a very local experience. And and Sophie, I, I feel like that's one of the things that Impacts gets right. I mean, from the totally. very beginning, yeah. And so so then then we had this idea where we wanted to take our uh, our kind of fledgling new programmers, some of which had never written a line of code. And we wanted to sit them around the table in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where no, nobody's ever heard of us, right? And um, and bring some of the best programmers in the world and have those best programmers excited enough about what we were doing to start fires. And so, you know, then we said, okay, so where are we going to hold this thing? And there were, I mean, the venues were all either canned hotels or out of our price range. And so we, we found ourselves looking at these empty warehouses with no restrooms, no running water, <laughs> things like that. But it's cool uh, and edgy. So yeah. It was cool and edgy. It's it was cool and edgy. So this one, oh my gosh, this first place that we did it was at um, what's now... Uh, is a national medal was it medal of honor yeah. museum yes and so it but it, it was slated to be that but it was not that yet so it was empty so they said you can do it here and it was this giant hall and it had little wings off the side um, but it mm -hmm. meant that it didn't have a kitchen it didn't have tables it didn't have chairs it didn't have speakers i mean we had to accommodate and get all of that in to figure out all this stuff and um it didn't, it didn't even have running water on the floor that we were having the conference. And so half the stuff that we did as a team was to take, you know, like gallons of like we'd run downstairs to the supplies closet and fill it up with water. And then we'd run back up and refresh the, <laughs> the coffee pots and the water jugs. And, oh my gosh, John Cotton ran up and down and up and down and up and down all day long getting all that <laughs> stuff done. It was crazy. But we did it. And it was, it was really fun. And there were, um, one of the most fun things about that conference um, was that we got to take a picture of all these people that were kind of underrepresented in tech and women, minorities, whatever. Uh, and they all came up to the front and we had over 30 people there. And most of them said it was the only conference that they'd ever been at that had that many, uh, that much diversity at it. And that just felt really cool. And uh, we, were able to give away tickets to help people come. Um, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. That's so hard to do, and it's so incredible to hear that. And I feel like I, I get this question constantly. Like strangers on the internet will reach out to me and ask me, like, how can I hire women, or how can I get you know a more diverse representation at my meetup or conference or event? And it's such a hard question to answer. And I do sometimes resent when people ask me that. <laughs> But I feel like what you guys have done is is you've baked in diversity like from day one by saying we're going to start with this group of people that is new to programming. And when you start with that group of people, you're looking at a group of people that come from really diverse backgrounds because it's mm -hmm. not the traditional 
trajectory that many people take, which is, you know, go to college or university, get the comp sci degree, you know, get an internship somewhere and then launch your career. So you get that diversity just kind of like from the outset from that. And you built this event and this is so incredible to me. You built this event that somehow marries like the experience and the expertise of these elixir experts and thought leaders and like, you know, inventors with the like excitement and curiosity and the new perspective of this diverse group of beginners. And I I just kind of want to hear more about that. I want to know how you attracted like people that were already elixirists to be part of an event like this. I want to hear like why, in your opinion, this is so special. And I'm particularly interested because a frustrating um, perspective that I hear a lot in conference planning and the planning of conferences that I've sometimes been involved in is that, well, we need, we need the experts. We need the most senior people. Like I want people to be really challenged when they're sitting in that audience. Um, and I don't think that's wrong. Like, of course I want people to be challenged. Of mm-hmm. course I want, you know, exciting industry experts, but there's something like kind of, uh, less alive about planning an event that just optimizes for that. And it's so alienating to beginners. It's so alienating to people that bring in that new perspective. Um, so I'm like in awe of what you guys did. And I just want to hear more about how you made it happen. So I think that I, I really love that. Um, I love that perspective, Sophie. Um, I, I have to be a little bit vulnerable here because one of the high moments of our whole trajectory of the conference and the mentoring moment was the day that you said yes to to Elixir Chat. I, I it was a huge moment to me because we were oh about God. to kill we were about to kill that that whole program. Um, wow. so there was a local thing and um, you know COVID had just happened and um, Brett was involved and John was involved and both of them were um, were able to do some things for us um, but not others, right? Um, because they were they were going through their I mean we were all um, kind of kind of buried yeah. under a wall of kind of grossness and um, and you stepped up to do the, um, the the mentoring program and that that gave us an international footprint but I want to talk a little bit more about the idea of of diversity in conferences and basically it's not a problem that any of us can solve alone. So the idea that um, that we could put on a conference or run this mentoring program with, um, I mean, for me, it's the the force of my will and 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 um, and that that passion, right? And um, for you, it's like you have this this background with the the Flatiron School. For Maggie, she has this gift of hospitality and organization, and we needed other thought leaders in the industry to come along but behind and beside us. And one of those people was John Hughes. And um, I mean, the way that that, that that started was just so odd and fragile and magical. Uh, gosh, I, do you remember, um, do you remember how that started Maggie? So you were stalking a couple of friends, right? I did. So the way the John Hughes stuff started was that, we had just moved to Chattanooga and I saw an article about some neighbors of ours that were really interesting. I didn't know them, but I thought I would like to know them. And so I just reached out and invited this woman to go to lunch with me um, because she just seemed really cool. So 
ended up having lunch and then we ended up at their house for appetizers or something. And we were just talking about, um, were you talking about the conference at that point yet? I can't remember. No. So, so basically, um, I was talking about, he was talking about the, um, the bourbon experience. He, he said, yeah. I like, I like scotch. I like bourbon. And, um, I said, well, I like it too. And I, I talked about this, this experience where, um, I wound up sitting next to John Hughes. I was giving a talk and he showed up in the audience. He's one of my idols, but I had never met him at that point. And, um, this was in Sweden, Lars. So you can appreciate that. It's a, it's a slightly reserved crowd. And, um, and I'm, I'm of course coming at it with, with my raw unbridled passion, which strangely worked that day. Right. And, um, I had this group eating out of my hand. And there were people leaving other talks and filtering into my talk. And, you know, I was picking up, I even ended the talk at a half hour, knowing that there was, there was a full hour of content, you know, an hour 10 to the next talk and just had that kind of confidence and was starting to ask people questions in the audience and start to ping them and, and kind of riff on their ideas. And um, then I started asking people their names, right? And so I would ask, um, I would ask this person their name and, and then we would talk about adoption and I would ask somebody else. I said, that's the most perceptive question that I've ever heard. What's your name? And he said, John Hughes. And I never got another word out. Right. So, <laughs> so we were at, at one of Francesco's conferences. And so, of course, there's a Francesco after party. And um, I found out I found myself next to John and um, just highly embarrassed and he was so great uh, gracious and um and just the epitome of class and grace and said you should come speak to my speak to my students about language adoption i thought it was a very good talk and i still haven't done so but still plan to someday if if you know it'll happen but but anyway so we we start having this conversation and one thing led to another and and it ended with with Francesco asking John to reach into the couch and he reaches into one corner and he pulls out this obscenely old, expensive vintage of scotch. And then he said, no, not that counter. And then John reaches into the other corner and he pulls out a bottle of his favorite scotch. And so we share this great bottle of scotch and I'm telling Steve Garrison this story. It, uh, we're back in Chattanooga now, just four doors down Maggie has finagled this this invitation to this this um, this couple, and um, I say John Hughes, and Steve just stands up and points like a bird dog to his his stairs, goes down the stairs, brings up this this beautiful bottle bottle of of bourbon, and we notice that it's actually distilled in Texas which I didn't know was a possible thing. I mean, so it turns out that bourbon doesn't have to be in Bourbon County, but it may as well be uh, have that requirement because there's so many obscene and just obscure laws that and rules governing this, that it would be stupid to try to distill it anywhere uh, but Bourbon County. Well, or this town called, um, what's a town in Hi. Texas, Maggie? Hi, Texas. Hi. Hi, Texas. And um, so anyway, um, he says, so take this bottle of bourbon. I want you to get it to John Hughes. 
And so this is three hour, uh, three three years after after that conversation. And I said, well, uh, so I send Steve, I send John an email. And I said, I don't know if you remember me, you know, Bruce. And I I re- retold the story. And I said, so there's this bottle of bourbon, and I could drop it in the mail. But what fun would that be? Why don't you come and anchor a conference? And then I kind of explained what we were doing. And he said, yes. <laughs> and then that kind of led, so John Hughes, and I said, Dave Thomas says, oh, John's come, I'll come. And then, you know, Stu Halloway, Closure Fame came, and then, you know, on and on and on, James uh, James Gray. Um, we had, gosh, who else? Um, Chris McCord was there, on and on and on. We just had this wall of, of the best programmers in the world, and they just, they saw what we were doing and wanted to come alongside and help. And that's what it takes, Sophie. So I love that question. And it's interesting because we tried to accomplish the same thing this year and we had excellent support. We didn't have quite the support that we did that first year. We had to wait until we put the conference on so we weren't able to get quite the sponsorships because the economy is down a little bit. And because we weren't as weren't as able to put as many women on the stage, we didn't have as many women in the audience. Because we weren't able to put as many non-white men on the stage, we didn't have as many non-white men in in the in the audience. And and that that just matters, right? And so um, I think that this is this is a code that we haven't cracked, but we know the thing that we have cracked. Is that if we if we tell speakers that this is important to us, we're hospitable to them and respectful of their time and their resources. That means that when we can, we pay their flights, we pay their hotels. Um, we think that doing that um, puts a more diverse panel in front of the audience, and that puts a more diverse. Um, group of people in the seat, and that starts to build a diverse culture. So that's my guess. I, I don't, I don't think we have a silver bullet, but that's my guess. Yeah, I think getting that lineup right, uh, like you said, getting that diversity on stage is a really big part of it. Um, and I have noticed for sure that that correlates, like, pretty obviously with the diversity of the folks that are then going to be interested in attending, and then actually show up to attend and it's it's so hard to find i think a lot of people can relate to this whether you're hiring or you're looking to plan events it's so hard to get the diversity that we want and that i feel that really does reflect the community to actually be reflected on stage and that's for so many reasons like the numbers in the community are still you know we talk about diversity as being important for a reason and then it always just comes down to like when we were planning MPEX, Marilyn and I actually sat down one afternoon and we made a list of like 30 plus women in Elixir um, just by like combing Twitter after we kind of ran out of people that we knew. And of those 30 people, like one person was actually able to attend and was a great fit and it worked out so well. But it's always just a numbers game too of like who's able to travel, whose company is funding things. Um, you know, whose travel can you cover? Who actually was doing Elixir and now they're doing Golang and they don't really want to give an Elixir talk these days and so on and so on. Um, it's, it's such a challenge. And I think the pandemic has only made it just that much more difficult. 
and I think that's all the more reason why I, I love that Elixir Chat exists and I love to participate in it because we're trying to grow this community and bring in people of different backgrounds because we know how vital it is to the health of this community and to, you know, its ability to thrive. So true. Yeah. And it's, it was really um, one of the, one of the things that I loved about this year's conference is we were able to have Flora Peterson, who's been on the podcast yes. come and she brought her baby. Right. And so um, the physical part of the conference center helped, right? Because there was a room that she could yeah. use if she needed to go take care of the baby. Um, and not, really not every point. place has that, right? Not every yeah. place has that. I think also there was a, and, and Maggie so beautifully said, um, you know, we hadn't even considered providing <laughs> resources for somebody to bring a baby. And, and um, when she brought the baby, um, the, to, to Maggie's credit, the, the very first thing that we did was we, we made sure that she felt first able to do it and second that she had a good experience when she did. So we had people lined up to hold that baby and make faces and um, you know take care of that baby to give to give Flora a chance to um, to kind of interact and, and actually be not just a mom but but be a professional in the conference too and that was a big deal. Um, and it reminded me um, one of my favorite moments as an elixir citizen, and I say citizen, has nothing to do with being a programmer, was hanging out with Jose after a conference. And he said, there's this, there's this t-shirt. Does anybody else have to have something to throw into this goodie bag? And then some people threw in stickers and some people threw in some other things. And we went to a woman, um, her name was Nola. We went to her house and dropped off the t-shirt and the sticker and all these other things because Jose wanted to say, look, you're welcome at our conferences. And that when those moments pop up, it's really important to recognize them for what they are, the ability um, and, and, and a time to make somebody feel welcome that might not otherwise feel welcome. And when, when you do these little things, then they happen in other places as well. So for example, I had this on my mind when somebody came up and said, hey, here's a sticker. Could you sign this sticker, Bruce? And then I said, I was about to sign it. And I said, who is this for? They said, well, there's a man from Brazil in our team. And he's a, he's a big fan. He almost came to your conference and didn't. Um, I want to sign. I want to get a couple of, you know, you and, and Frank. Frank Humless was also there. I want to get your signatures. But my sister was there. My house was five minutes away. I said, Cheryl, could you please go home and get these books, Adopting Elixir, and um, and this other book. And so we brought the book back and, and I signed it and Frank signed it. It was a very small thing, but it maybe may make somebody feel welcome who didn't before. And it's a culture that stamped on me from the very beginning from, from Jose and the, the, the values that he's built into caring for other people that are not like him. Almost aggressively inviting because um, otherwise people might not get the point. <laughs> right. Aggressive invitations. I yeah, like but it's like, <laughs> it should be a little bit hard to refuse the hospitality. Otherwise people might not feel it. And, <laughs> and I think that's especially important because a lot of the community happens over the internet. 
So if someone says, "Oh, just reach out anytime," no, but I literally mean it. Like, reach out. Otherwise, I can't help you. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of something that needs to be underlined every now and then. And I was on the program committee for Codebeam Stockholm Lite, so that was a one-track, yeah, one-day mini conference, um, mostly kind of well it's beam centric uh, so more and more elixir but it's evolved from the old erlang um, user conferences and they wanted to prioritize speakers mostly from the nordics and europe which kind of makes sense if you want to make a, a locally oriented uh, conference as well as afford to bring speakers in because there were some there's a lot of budgetary constraints. That's not the big conference for uh, for that organization this year. But like we had to put in a fair bit of work to figure out like who can we bring in, and not just a lot of the sort of old Erlang dudes. Like we want some of the old Erlang dudes. Of course we do. They have good stories. <laughs> They've been there since the very beginning. They have tons of experience. It's good to hear their stories. But we also want some other variety. And uh, it was a little bit of a challenging job, but I think we did we did a decent enough job of, of getting some variety in there. And it was a good, if short, conference. Uh, I think I'll actually have a vlog soon about it. Uh, so a video is coming up. That was certainly one of those kind of tricky situations. It's like, I know a lot of people in the lecture community. I cannot just pull, without infinite budget, I cannot pull right. together. That's that's part of it too. Like a heavy, a heavy <laughs> hitter, diverse lineup. I could figure out my ideal lineup, but everyone right. is going to say, ah, uh, like, okay, I'll lose one to still not really traveling after COVID. Okay, fair. Uh, like, no, busy with uh, something else. Okay, that lost me three of them. Uh, and, then, and then it's like, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure it's worth my time this time. Uh, sorry, or whatever. Someone's getting married. Like, And suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, I have two of my ideal lineup. And uh, then I have five of my reserves. And suddenly I'm down to like one woman and one <laughs> queer and one person that's not white and it's like it, it is genuinely difficult but it is also like worthwhile uh it also helps the process of like crafting uh, a lineup because mm -hmm. otherwise it's like oh yeah uh, there, there's tons of good speakers and tons of them will cover the same ground if you just go uh go sort of and have an entirely open door in, in that regard uh, mm -hmm. Something you said, Sophie, like it starts day one. I actually think getting a diverse crowd, getting a diverse lineup starts like day or like year minus five or something. Truly. Like I have an unusually diverse team. Um, mm -hmm. Sophie, you met them. Uh, yeah, and they're great. And I love my team. I could not have pulled this team. I got this team through my sister's network. <laughs> I, I have <laughs> activist queer sisters. 
And one of them reached out and was like, hey, my friend uh, is trained to be a web dev. They want a place to do their internship thing. Can they do it with you? Uh, I was like, yeah, sure. That person pulled in the rest. That's awesome. Yeah, you, you make the connection. You have to earn the trust. Yes. And I wouldn't have found them through any of my normal channels. Like, oh, yeah, I, I can reach people in Hack News. What type yeah. of people do I reach in Hack News? Oh, I can right. reach people in the Elixir community. What type do I average towards if I reach out in the Elixir community? It's uh, the unusual paths get the kind of unusual people. It has to start early, I think. It's tricky. Now, how many gig cities have there been so far? So we've done two. We did 2018, 2019, and then we skipped pandemic years. <laughs> and then we, um, we held Lone Star Elixir once uh, in 2020. And that seemed to be kind of the last event before everything shut down. That was at the end of February. And, um, and that was it. So Gig City 23 was the, the big comeback for, um, for us for organizing to get people in person. What's Lone Star all about? Uh, Lone Star, um, that was really fun. So we were in Austin and um, we were having dinner with Jim Freeze and we had invited Jim to come to our first gig city and he came and um, so we were just chatting with him and he had mentioned that he just wasn't sure he was going to do it again. And so he asked if we wanted to do it. So we said, sure. So he... Uh, so we took it over. So that's that's how that that's how that came no, about. That's not what happened. <laughs> what they said is, "I want Maggie to take it over." <laughs> and he was looking at me. He says, "I want Maggie to take this over." <laughs> and it's, I'm not giving this to Bruce and Maggie. I'm not giving it to to Bruce. I'm giving it to Maggie. He was very yeah. clear on the score. <laughs> Rightly yeah. so. Yeah, he did. He did at one point call me Bruce's secret weapon. So. <laughs> Not so secret. <laughs> oh, that was funny. So that and that was fun, you know. And it's different organizing them in different places. Gig City is much more um, labor intensive for me because we're doing it in places where I'm coordinating all the food, I'm coordinating all of the swag, I'm coordinating the event, the speakers, everything, right? And then when we go to Lone Star. We held it at Alamo Draft House, which was super fun in this theater. Um, so it was really different. Um, but I just told the staff at the theater, like, I want this for breakfast and this for lunch and this for, you know, snack. And it all appeared so that I got to sit at the front and greet people. So that was a little bit um, less labor intensive for me. <laughs> but, but both of them really focusing on um, community, plenty of hallway track time. Uh, plenty of outside conference time and focusing on the a good solid menu of deliciousness. Sounds good. Well, across all of these um, various years that you guys have been doing Gig City and I guess Lone Star too, uh, kind of back to this topic of speakers and you know how we get the speakers that we want to see up on stage. What have some of your favorite talks have been over the years? Um, I. Um, so because I'm not technical, uh, I tend to, uh, the talks that are more bigger picture for me, um, I really enjoy. So, 
um, Stu's talk that first year in 2018 was so good, Stu Holloway, and we didn't record any of the talks in 2018. And we're like, oh, mistake. So we haven't made that mistake again. We've recorded everything since. But um, but we did bring Stu back to Chattanooga to to speak at a meetup so that we could record that talk. So that's um, that's out there. And then, um, you know, I always enjoy Amos King and Chris Keithley and Randall Thomas. And uh, there was one, oh my gosh, we were at Lone Star and Melvin Sedeno was talking and he was just talking about, what was it like pot farming? I can't remember what it was, but somebody came out and was like, it was a drone. (laughs) It was a drone. And somebody came and he's like, yeah, he's talking about this. I'm like, he's what? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there are lots of really fun, memorable events. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a couple. Um, so one is, um, you know, there are a couple of that stewardship made practical talk was was definitely incredible. I mean, that was um, we were starting to get into a place in the Elixir community where, you know, there's there's more than there's there's a time when language creation, um, you know, the the fun is turned down a little bit and the um, responsibilities are turned up. And that's really difficult for a community and the creator. And Stuart was talking about how they were solving that problem in the closure community and the conversations about conversations. It's really a brilliant talk. Um, it's on the Groxio site, if you'd like. We're going to link to it in our show notes. There were also a couple of moments that were really funny. Um, like I asked Chris Keithley to end the conference for us for a keynote. You know, I, I want you to have this. This is your your local speaker and everything. And can you do something for me that's uplifting? And he has a twinkle in his eye and he says, sure. And then um, and then on the phone call where we were talking about it, Maggie was there. And he said, how about how I failed to live my childhood dreams? I was trying to get him to give me his title. Like I was trying to like round up all the titles from all the speakers so that we could start publishing stuff. <laughs> and he said, how I failed to live my childhood dreams after we just had this conversation about being positive and uplifting. And then Maggie, there was like a pregnant pause. And Maggie said, we'll leave it blank for now. <laughs> and then so as if that weren't bad enough, you know, Randall Thomas always does this to me, right? So I said, you're going to open our show for this year's talk. And don't worry about a title yet, but make sure it is it is uplifting and and starts to build our momentum and really put all the positive energy that you can you can think about in this. Right. So we walk into the conference and we're our sponsorships numbers are down. We didn't know what the actual attendance in the room was going to be. We're setting up. We're trying to get the audio to work. So all the all these things are happening. And I see out of the corner of my eye, Randall is about to hook up to the projector and he's, he's grinning ear to ear. And I said, oh, no. And he plugs the system in. And the title of the talk, talk is Apocalypse How. And there's this giant mushroom cloud. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was great. Um, and it was a fantastic talk. It was about responsibility and AI. Um, I'm not sure I would have opened a conference with it. But it was one of the best talks of the week. But probably my favorite talk out of last of this past year was um, was Brian Hunter gave this talk, 
he talked about his his kind of growing relationship with Joe Armstrong and all the papers that he'd worked with Joe on over this this period of time when he had to leave Tennessee to kind of promote functional programming because he couldn't find anybody locally to do it. And then there was a time where he came back locally to work on this project called Water Park. And so he talked about this and all the technical details, and it was just an immaculately um, easy easy talk to understand, but very well put together, very well discussed, very well presented, and, and technically, the, the technical details were awesome. And then he kind of lands this, this left hook at the end of the talk and saying, well, so Joe Armstrong just passed. I haven't had a chance to talk about these concepts since then. Um, and my mother was, was it his mother, Maggie, was, was at the... I think so. Go ahead. I think it was. And, yeah, it was, was at one of these hospitals. Um, and these techniques, these papers helped save her life. And, um, you know, gosh, everybody, you know, the, the talk was long and everybody had their tissues that were kind of drying their eyes. And, and it was just a stunningly powerful moment because he was talking at home about these concepts um, and using homegrown talent after, after his life's work of promoting functional programming. Um, just really wonderful. It was, it was so inspiring. I mean, it, isn't it as a non-technical person just to hear what he and his team had been able to accomplish and the real world impact that it was having. It was, you know, just to be able to see that thread of history from what Joe did to what Brian did to, you know, saving lives. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, that's really something. I've heard that that Chris Keithley talk, and I think I've seen the recording of it, actually also was a bit of a cheer, cheer producer. I've, I've seen people say, yeah, yeah, he's the, uh, that's the only technical talk that's ever brought me to tears. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I think it had a touch of rocketry in, in yes. like, there was definitely like a NASA backdrop. So he might just have misread you when you said uplifting. <laughs> yeah, so I mean the the talk. So twelve minutes before I, I know this because I was looking at my watch and I was just smoldering, right? Because you know we this is the the uplifting last talk. I'm kind of watching this. You know, you could kind of picture me tapping my foot. So he's given this talk. He's um. On in this NASA contest, this is his whole life dream. His team has let him down. Um, and in his robot is smoking and not moving, and he is on the floor crying, right? 12 minutes before the talk ends. I'm saying, Chris, did you hear me? And boy, he did he close that well. I mean, it was just um there was, was awesome. this was very much a, a hurt then rescue talk. If you wanna, if you wanna make them feel something, you gotta take them, take them a distance. You gotta bring them down first. <laughs> right. oh, Chris is really good at bringing people down. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Chris. <laughs> but actually, like this, this having your speakers uh, kind of play games with you, uh, that I think speaks to some of the real challenges of creating a good event and i think it's a really good signal when you have the relationship with your speakers that they actually do play games with you a little bit 
Yes. Because yes. they are picking up what you're saying about your vision. They're taking it on. They're making it you theirs. Yep. And suddenly you have a collaboration. It's not just, I'm going to show up. I'm going to talk about my project or uh, like I'm going to make a generic keynote. It's like, okay, you said you want this. I will try to do what you want my way. <laughs> and uh, that's a heck of a collaboration. And I don't it think is. like not all conferences can pull that off. Honestly, I wouldn't say that, for example, like I really enjoyed ElixirConf in Europe this year. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have that dynamic there because it is a more general sort of uh, it's trying to hit all of the Elixir public. It's trying to like do all the greatest hits. So you'll have USA, you'll have Chris, you'll have big names. The big topics will be covered. There will be a few quirkier talks. There will be a few talks that are not as technical. They're, like they will cover the whole ground and they will make a very good conference. But it will not stick out in the way a conference that that has a specific design that's kind of opinionated in that regard. I think. Well, and it's, it's, that's so true, right? The big conferences can't do some of the stuff the little conferences do, just like the little conferences can't do the multi-tracks and all the, the variety that the big conferences can do. Um, so there's a place for all of it. And it, um, and I, I just have such a tender spot for these little conferences just because it's a place where you really do everybody's in the same room, everybody's having the same meal, everybody's together. And it's just, it is so much fun just as a observer to see the little pockets of people that meet and chat. And then you just the energy that's in the room and the synergy that's happening and the product discussion. And one of my favorites is just to watch people, they pull out their computers and they're both like huddled over whatever the thing is that they're doing. And they're just talking and they're pointing and they're animated. Right. And it's, I love it. I love it so much. And I love being in a place to help facilitate that. It's really fun. All right. I think that's the perfect spot to end this lovely conversation. I hope we can actually wrangle the MPEX folks into having a bit of a conversation about their conference as well, because I think it has a separate and different character that I'd love to explore. As usual, thanks to our sponsors, Groxio, Career Fuel for Programmers, and Underjord, uh, my company. I like, what do I do? That's, oh, I did have a slogan for this recent conference. Mostly functional programming. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Maggie, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Beam Radio. I think that might be a perfect place to wrap it. Like, I could ask more questions, but it's a very good end note. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, I'd leave a note for the editor, but she's here. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wrap it there. Yeah. <laughs>